The Deuce premiered on... <laughs> that was really enthusiastic. The Deuce! <laughs> and we're back! <laughs> the Deuce premiered on August 25th, 2017 on HBO. Let's put 80 minutes on the clock. Pilots study Chris and Grimes. They're talking all of your favorite shows. But only the pilot episode. That means the first show. In case you didn't know. When you never know what show they're gonna talk about. But they're only gonna talk about the first one. And that's the premise behind Pilot Study. My name is Chris Lantinen. I'm Grimes. This is Pilot Study, the show where we hate second episodes. We talk pilots here. If you want to hear about second episodes, head on over to our sworn enemies, the second episode showcase. We love <laughs> moments where characters meet. We love that title talk. We love looking at lenses. You know, I think we were fairly positive on the deuce, today's topic. This episode is called Pilot. It's of the deuce. It's on HBO. It's highly anticipated. Grimes, I'm going to start with you. What did you think of the deuce? Did you like it? Did you hate it? Or you're somewhere in the middle? You know what, man? I actually really liked it. Uh, I give it a lot of slack because I love so many of the people in it and involved with it. You're a big-time uh, Franco head. I love James Franco <laughs> and all of his incarnations. I love him as a grad student. I loved him in Freaks and Geeks and ever since. Um, oh, I thought you were saying that you love him like when he played a grad student on some unknown movie or program. You no, loved, like you as a real-life NYU student. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you loved his stint at NYU, both teaching and as a student. No, you loved him in grad school. I did. I, I just, I, uh, I'm a big Maggie G fan. Ooh, I love Maggie G. She, she's bringing it in this pilot. She brings it, uh, as we'll discuss later. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's what you want from an HBO show, that's for sure. Um, yeah, so it has the, uh, it's got the nudity. Um, nudity. It's got the swearing. Check. Check. It's got the promises of definite violence. Oh, for sure. Bloody, bloody violence. We're talking pools of blood. Mafia here. related too, which we all love. <laughs> Maf- there's some there's some mafia connections here, or at least like some um, Mets betting mafia level yeah. connections. <laughs> Hundred on the Metropolitans. I love that. <laughs> I've never seen guys so concerned about who's starting for the Mets. Think about a bet in like 1971 for a hundred bucks on like a regular season Mets game. Like <laughs> that's a lot of money. Yeah, that's dude. a lot of money. You never know. Like these baseball guys, they, there could be a guy sitting there. They could be drinking in the clubhouse. Like when the Red Sox collapsed that one year, they could be eating fried chicken in the clubhouse. You never that's a know. a lot of money. There's 162 games. Do people really bet on baseball a lot? I guess. I mean, they were in the 70s. There there wasn't the internet. What else were they going to do? Like single game bets. Like I know like over-unders, you know, things like that. Playoffs, things that matter. Yeah, but like single games is really weird. But it it was the 70s, so maybe they did that kind of shit. Um, The the Curb Your Enthusiasm I just watched was the one where Larry is making the bets with like the Korean bookie. Oh, yeah. Who eats <laughs> and he's betting on single games in that episode. He's like taking the Celtics in some random NBA game, throwing down like 300. Yeah, but Larry David has like $500 million. So 
this is yeah that's true this is i was <laughs> this that, guy's poor that's kind of, that was kind of gonna be my next point because we're gonna do curb your enthusiasm in a few episodes so i'm watching the rest i got through like four uh, okay. seasons i took a break it's kind of punishing and so i'm almost through season five i'm on the the episode called the end which i'm sure you know what happens in that one and um let's just say he visit he visits heaven for a period of time it's um it's a it's a good show because we never worry about larry's money like that's right. that's a nice part of it. Like there's no stress about Larry going broke. It would be a very stressful show if Larry could go broke at any time. I, li- I right, think, and I it was like kind it of that he's the rich. same with Seinfeld. You never got the sense that he would ever run out. He was buying his parents Cadillacs and just kind of doing whatever. No, I worry about myself going broke. I don't need to see it on right, TV right. as well. It's, yeah. it's just too much. All right, let's right. Uh, let's jump into the title sequence here. Let's do a little title talk. So we've got a Curtis Mayfield song called uh don't worry if there's a hell below we're all going to go and this was from his 1970 debut album curtis i think we need more people that are just going to name their albums their first name like uh just like when are we going to get kanye as oh. an album just kanye God, you, he should hire you to name his records that should definitely be the next title of his record. <laughs> I uh, think so. but uh george pelicanos who is the co-creator and co-writer and who i'll detail more so as we go on in this episode he said it's a perfect tune to illustrate the show's psychological political and economical intersections of this world at the time he said it ties into don't worry we're living in the moment we'll worry about the consequences later theme of the show but on a music geek level it's a big thing for me to have that song it was a shot across the bow of the punk movement in the 70s so he was this guy's very psyched that they were able to get this curtis mayfield song I think I think it works for the title sequence. It's energetic, but there's obviously some sinister messaging behind it. Yeah, I the only real title notes I took, I, I enjoy always like the um projected film look of things. Right, so that yeah. was pretty cool. I thought it was a little long, but other than that, I think it fit for sure. Like you said, I mean the theme underlying there and and the message of the song. I have not yeah, seen I have not they, seen they get into some serious stuff. I have not seen Treme. But uh, The Wire, Simon's other show, is like the same thing. It's like a long title sequence. It's not as long as like Game of Thrones or anything, but I think this one was a minute and a half, two minutes maybe. Um, so yeah, pushing not, two. Yeah, so it's not like, it's not Game of Thrones length, but it's still like something where you might skip it if it's on. I think Netflix allows you to skip the title sequence, but HBO doesn't. Which is cool. I like title sequences. I don't want to. I don't want to have that temptation. Let me sidebar real quick, since yeah. this was a really, really long pilot, and we have a little bit of time. So we got so much pi- time. A few pilots back, you made fun of me because I watch <laughs> Netflix on a desktop, and I want to know why that's weird. Why it's weird? Can you skip intros on the desktop? Yes, you can. I'm just like imagining you like <laughs> sitting like three feet back from your desk because you can't like sit right next to the. De- Do you sit right next to it and have like your arms on the desk? Uh, no, because my chair has arms. I'm gonna say I'm arms length from my monitor. Okay, you're like arms length. I, I guess I just imagine you like sitting a couple feet back with your dew cracked open. Like, you know, spilling it every now and then on (laughs) your leather chair. It's just, I don't know. It's weird because it's like TV is like a den activity. And I I think the computer desk is the opposite of the den because when I think of a computer desk, I think of work. 
And if I'm sitting there and watching something, because I have the TV, you know I have the TV on my, on, as the second monitor, I have the TV. But if I'm sitting there, like, I have this, like, um, temptation to work. I don't know if you feel the same way or if that's why you're able to do it and I can't. Well, I definitely never feel the temptation to work, um, so that's not an issue. I think I just, no issue. like, we have these huge Mac monitors, you know, and it's really nice to watch, because I, I would say I definitely watch more Netflix or, or anything streaming whatnot on the iPad or just mobile devices in general, but right. I will sit there, and like you said, I will crack a do, I will do other stuff, um, but I will watch, like... Full. I've definitely seen full series on nothing but a desktop. That's insane to me. I don't. I, I could never do it. Like unless the TV was, because I used to have my desk in my bedroom so that the I could lay down and watch it from you know however far back it was. Sure. So like me and the wife used to do that. But you know I also I also watch all the shows that I watch with my wife because if, if I'm going to make this major time investment, then I feel like she should be included. You, oh man, you're, you're so nice. You're like the, a, you're a solo. Office. Yeah, you're like a solo TV quester. Oh yeah, I, I've definitely seen entire like actors film or like careers <laughs> without her having any clue. Like Duchovny, I don't know that Marissa could pick David Duchovny out of a lineup. Yeah, I think that's I, that's just because your guys' tastes are, I think, farther apart in the spectrum than me and Courtney. So, like, if I'm going to watch something and I'm enjoying it, I just feel like she'll enjoy it. Now, there are definitely things that she does not enjoy. Like, she was, like, half watching this. I don't think she was super into it. Um, I'm trying to think of other shows. And she watches stuff that I don't like. Like, she just finished this show, Insecure. Or no, no, Atypical, excuse me. Insecure is the HBO show. Atypical, which is about this um, student that has autism. And it actually has Michael Rappaport in it, which is just great for a variety of reasons. But um, Uh, it's this Netflix show that I half-watched. I was just kind of like hanging out, but I wasn't really interested in it. Which is, it's a show that we should talk about sometime more in depth. But uh, yeah, I don't know, the... I think I think it's mostly the desktop. It's a taste factor, I think, more than the desktop. The, well, the computer area, I just, I guess, I just, I see it differently. You associate it with work because you're a worker. Yeah, and I can't sit there for forever. My my chair is not that comfortable. I need to be laying down, and I need to be. Comfortable. I see, man. I respect okay. it all. I was just curious. I thought we no. could kind of revisit a previous pilot study topic that we did say we would come back. I know people are probably dying to hear people that. People so. were dying <laughs> to hear the conclusion to that. They're so psyched right now. They're, yeah, they're, pilot study, we don't leave things like that behind. We remember shit like that. They're debating as to what their position is. Oh, okay, rest, rest of the title talk here. We got a white font, blue drop shadow. Again, like you said, overexposed, kind of burnt out film. And it's cool because like when it burns out, it serves as like the transition. What I thought was a little awkward in the title sequence was their mixture of what looked like archival footage and what was definitely filmed like for the sequence and how that was mixed together. One, one portion definitely looked more modern to me. I don't know if yeah, I, don't know if you I felt agree that. with that too. Yeah. A little bit, yeah. I didn't probably notice it as often, but there were times where I was like, "Uh, what was that?" Like, <laughs> it's like yeah, it was just like a clearer picture, and it's like really hard to hide like that super clear digital picture that they're able to get now. Uh, you got all these cinema marquees, um, and I want to talk about the porn thing here in a second. I I, I really love the title treatment, which is like the cherry. And, like, again, it's kind of borrowing from, like, that that neon vibe, you know, type of thing. I really like the title sequence, even though it really doesn't say anything about the show. And one more thing. 
I think it's so long because there's so many executive producers. Yeah, like everyone in the show has an EP credit. <laughs> I know. It's like Franco's executive producer. He also directed two episodes of this first season. Uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal, executive producer. Um, Price. Richard Price, who did The Night Of, um, executive producer. And I think he wrote Pelicano, Simon, a couple others. Like, they got to get through all these people. So it's like, of course, they got to have this long one. And another HBO kind of through line is that it's got a very Deadwood style closing. Like this ripple of this mud puddle. Deadwood's title sequence, which is definitely a pilot we should study someday and a show I think you'd love, is, like, this horse coming down in, like, this puddle in the mud, and then it rippling out, and, like, the director is displayed within the ripple, I think. I'm pretty sure that's how it goes. Uh, this yeah, is, like, yeah. basically the same same exact ending, and it kind of matches up thematically, because both shows are about people that kind of roll around in the muck and the shit and, like, kind of like it. So, I, you know, those shows definitely have a brotherhood to them. And it was just funny that they end and the title sequences end in such a distinct, like, it's like the same image, basically, but just on a city street instead of like a Western town. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if that wasn't on purpose. I don't know. I'd, I'd be curious. Um, so I'll, I'll go through the specs really quick. If anything jumps out at you, feel free to interrupt. So we got writers on this episode. We got George Pelicanos, who previously worked with David Simon on The Wire and Treme and is a crime fiction writer. David Simon is the creator of The Wire, Treme, longtime writer for a show called Homicide Life on the Street. Also, I believe, I, I don't remember if he created Show Me a Hero or if he, I think he created Show Me a Hero, which was this HBO miniseries that starred Oscar Isaac and was released last year, I believe. Uh, but, I mean, he's also a journalist. He's got a long, extended, celebrated career in television, and that's why this show has so much hype. Um, a quick example of how they work together. Pelicanos guested on The Watch podcast, um, which is just like a notch above us in popularity. We were both on the South by Southwest stage, the same stage. Um, <laughs> right. Their screening sounded a little, or their taping sounds a little more packed than ours. Don't be fooled. We just had the audio turned down, I think. Our mics in the crowd were turned off because we didn't want them to drown out our talking. We were just on, we were just, you know, we were on fire, basically. And we really wanted to focus on the, on the very powerful <laughs> points we were making. So we turned down, the, turned down the audience mic. But so they talked about that Port Authority scene, the one where the guy from The Roots and I think his name's Cece. Yeah, Cece. Cece and Reggie Love are talking. And where they're scouting new girls. And so Pelicanos wrote yeah. that very pulpy, like, obscene talk about, like, about, you know, about big women and all those things that they're talking about. And then Simon went back and he added the part about Vietnam. So that's, like, their working relationship. The one guy can write, like, really snappy, um, street-level dialogue. And then Simon's, like, of course, this intellectual. He's, he was a journalist formerly. So he, he adds the stuff about Vietnam, which is kind of funny. Michelle McLaren, she directs. She did 11 episodes of Breaking Bad. And I made sure to write them down because I know you're, obviously, the big Breaking Bad guy. So here's some, of the, ones, here's some of the ones she directed. She directed One Minute, which is the Hank and Cartel Cousin shootout in the parking lot. Oh, yeah, one of the best and just one of the purely best action scenes in the show. Shredder, I need you to listen very carefully. Two men are coming to kill you. Come again? I, I mean, just that whole like when he crushes them with the car, it's that just was so awesome. like fist pumpingly great. Um, so he directed Salud, 
which is the Gus Fring episode where he poisons everybody at the pool and has that great wide shot of the oh, pool. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, she did the episode before, uh, Oz- is it Osmondius? Osmondius? I believe that's how it's pronounced. But anyways, she does the episode right before that where they trap Walt in the desert and it ends with the shootout. So she's done like pretty much some of the best ones, which is... Which is great. Um, she was the first attached director for Wonder Woman before she dropped out over creative differences. That movie obviously went on to dominate the whole summer. But anyway, she's like the seasoned TV director. She even directed um, like an old episode of The X Files. Um, but some notes on her direction here because she did. They did an interview with her on The Ringer, and uh, she said, "When you're in the diner or when you're on the street, I wanted the camera to be moving and have that fluidity to show the connection between the pimps and the." cops and the prostitutes that everybody is interwoven then when you get behind closed doors the camera is very static so she uses the example of maggie gyllenhaal's candy aka eileen and how she when she gets home to like her nice but you know not really fancy apartment the camera is very static it's a big difference from again the very uh the very um smooth and fast-moving action that happens outside, like, camera-wise. And I believe there was uh, the other shot, the final shot, where James Franco backs away from the door in just, like, that crushing, crushing scene. (laughs) And again, very still. So that's the big example they used. But uh, did you see anything visually that stuck out to you? Any props you want to give old Michelle here? Well, I mean, there's the whole, like, 70s New York fetish, so everything has to be so... They, like, nail everything. So now on TV shows, because of, like, Mad Men and directors like her you you just take it for granted that like the set is going to be a character i know that's like one of the shittiest cliche oh, things no, you that's, could say that's funny i was thinking of literally making the same joke i'm like dude new york city is like a character on this show but right I, I, don't know every, how, I, I don't know how what other way to describe it as but every television show and movie that has ever been about new york they make this fucking the city is a character we get it like new york city's amazing it's cool you're awesome if you live there you're shitty if you've never been there like and i believe that like i've been there a few times it's great like but um it's just like instead of nailing every detail that like oh that cigarette box looked real maybe work on the dialogue for that 15 minutes you know like i don't know it just this show, I should love it, but I just like it. And I, I feel a little yeah. let down. You I, know what I mean? I just like it as well, but I think it's for different reasons. So since you were talking about it, we'll discuss the production design. So this was headed by somebody named Beth Mickle, and she staged the show's, quote, version of Midtown at Amsterdam, Ave- Amsterdam Avenue and 164th Street in Manhattan's Washington Heights neighborhood. Um, she said the, uh, the advertisements are authentic. Every poster, everything in every window is either from 1971 or recreated. And basically, with the exception of one hotel room that they did on a soundstage, the entirety of the pilot is shot on location in New York City in like a two-block stretch of shops which is kind of crazy um that two block stretch and like four and it stands in for four major locations so 42nd 7th and 8th um in times square so obviously they can't shoot in times square so they had to go right. i think this is uptown i'm, I'm not positive somebody <laughs> might be able to correct me on that but i believe this is uptown and so they had to recreate times square and but they did use some cgi so like all the all the theater marquees i think are by hand and then everything above that, I believe, what they said is um, 
that's all CGI. So hmm. it's crazy. It looks great. They can do a lot with CGI, obviously, these days. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. <laughs> I mean, even like the New York Times, which I'm sure has written about New York City as the character a million times, they are they literally wrote the most consequential character may be the city itself. See, I, like what? That's so uh, how, unnecessary. That's uh, not like actual <laughs> criticism anymore. That's a jerk off move. They say, a New York two generations removed, and the creators and their team have captured through spot-on dialogue, time-specific set designs, and atmospherics invoking the French Connection and the taking of uh, Palum? Palum? Palum, one, two, three. No bike shares, no artisan coffee, no sushi. I hope so. <laughs> like, I mean, obviously they're not going to have a fucking Starbucks, like, sticking out. Well, yeah, the how stupid would they be to have people texting and shit? Jesus. Like, nobody's that dumb. It, it feels like an expensive show, doesn't it? It feels like they sunk some cash into this. Yeah, it's high quality. It looks very, you know, cinematic. Um, well, I'm ready to talk about the dialogue, too, if you are. I'm, I'm about ready to get there. I do want to say one thing yeah. about Mad Men. They spend so much of their time indoors. They didn't have to do any of the outside yeah, stuff. Yeah, this like, was very outside. This is all outdoors. Yeah, so dialogue, hit me with your thoughts. I, I'm, I probably have something on it. Yeah, so I just kind of thought, like, it, it's funny when you brought it up before about that excuse me, that Port Authority scene. The dialogue, I felt like in the first entire half of the pilot was brutal at times. Like that Nixon speech was so heavy-handed with like the message and the parallels to Trump and uh, all the slang that they use. Like, so after they go to the Port Authority, they go to this diner and every single guy had to say like three 70s catchphrases. <laughs> and I'm like, we get it. It's 1971. You put it at the beginning. You showed the old cars. Like, ease the fuck up you know this is the pilot like i know sometimes we like in pilots when they beat us over the head with stuff but i think this the fetish the fetishization of the 70s and new york are so like uh ingrained in anyone who would watch this show at this point i feel that like we don't need hey jive turkey what's the word like we don't need all that shit like in the first 15 minutes you just think they went overboard on I think it was a little bit much. Like, not trying, that it was bad. Trying to be so authentic that it's it's a little much in the process, I guess. Like, there are more... It's kind of like how HD looks better than real life. Like, this is more 70s than the 70s were. <laughs> I have one deep cut on the dialogue, and that is... He mentions what's called a half-smoke, and it's like some sausage, yeah, some yeah. sausage that she eats. Yeah. And apparently it's like a DC thing. So Pelicanos is from DC. And I think he inserted this as like a kind of nod to his hometown. But uh, it's similar to a hot dog, according to Wikipedia. But it's usually larger, spicier, and, and with more coarsely ground meat. The sausage is often half pork and half beef, smoked and served with herbs, onion, and chili sauce. Sounds pretty good, actually. Oh, yeah. Those so, sound very good. But I would, yeah, I would like, enjoy that. Like half smoked. Do we need to talk about half smokes? I, I don't. I don't nope. think so. What was that sausage thing? That's a half smoke, girl. Guess you don't have those up in the lakes, huh? First time for me. <laughs> it's a quick mention. Trying to throw still... in that urban slang, dude. Okay. Since we're doing issues, this is my biggest issue with this episode. <laughs> I like Franco. Like, I'm just going to get this out there. I, I dig Franco. I think he's a great actor. I think he's criminally underrated in most of his stuff. We seem to, like, downgrade him because he tries hard. 
and I don't ever see why that would be like I guess like a try hard in terms of the in, in artistic terms is bad because you can like see the you can see where he's the like earnestness. Yeah, you can see where he's trying hard. You know, like not to take it from yeah. my actual uh, moniker, but so people kind of dock him for that. But I think he's a great actor, and I think he deserves the Oscar nominations that he's gotten. And I think he's one of our most talented actors. But are we supposed to like cheer for either of the Francos? Like neither of them are set up with any. Like the good one, quote unquote, has like maybe one redeeming quality, but I can't cheer for either of these guys. Aren't they supposed to be like the heroes of our show? Right? Yeah, the anti hero fact. First of all, I thought the brother thing for two reasons was bullshit. I, I thought they were using <laughs> it as like like he had a fake brother because I like to go into shit like this that's hyped up and so I like to know like not very much. Okay. And I know you love all the like background and all and that, of course I like talking about it, but something like this I just kinda wanted to watch because I wanna like it. I love Franco. This is like gonna be a TV show I wanna watch. Hmm. And I hated that it was like, oh, that was my brother. And I was like, his brother looks that much fucking like him. So I don't like it when one person plays two people. So wait, you didn't know he was playing twins until he showed up at the bar? Until today. Holy yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I totally waited, dude. I like went into this shit blind. I had no idea. Because, like I said, no clue. Just like I had That's no awesome. clue that the Avengers wasn't about 9-11 and all that shit. <laughs> Sometimes I like to just amaze you with shit like that. I thought incredible. you would like that. But... I mean, it had to be such a surprise, though, when they showed up at the bar, right? Yes, and it made me so mad. It took me 100% out of the show because I was like, I'm oh with it, God. I'm with it. This is the greatest. I was like, this dude is such a baller that he made up a fake brother that he second... can scam all of his sets on. Second best second best moment in pilot study history right here, right now. <laughs> this misunderstanding. So... I thought you had watched a trailer or seen some casting. I thought you, oh, I thought I told yeah. you that he played twins, but hey, that's great. I think I probably skimmed it, but when I saw it, I was like, son of a bit, Franco, come on. And I was like, Franco, this is the kind of shit that pe- makes people not like you, man. Yeah. Like, well, you know me. I follow everything, and I know all this news, and I think sometimes it hurts me. I wish I could have experienced like it, I wish I could have experienced it like that um, simply because it would have been like – I think that bar scene would have carried more weight, and it would have been quite the twist. They play it like a twist. Like they play it like they do fucking, play it like a twist. Fucking, I love a twist. They play it like some meeting of titans. They play it like De Niro and Pacino meeting in heat, but it's really a pretty boring conversation. Yeah. And it's just like the guy getting a, or the bad Franco, we'll call him, getting a free drink and then playing cards like afterwards. Like it's it doesn't really have, yeah. It took me out of it. It has no narrative like. It doesn't push the story in any way. It's just like you're an asshole. You owe money. Why are you screwing me over? It's not like that is when the porn thing comes up, which is something that we have to get to. The fact that they never get to the porn thing in 80 minutes of TV. It's like, come on. Like, give us the hook of the show. Uh, we'll, we'll get back to it. I want to talk about Franco more. So my thing with the Franco stuff, especially him playing twins, I think it all. I think the twin thing, the, the trick, always works better in theory. Like, the casting for that stuff is always super exciting. Like, like oh, man. Franco's going to play twins. That's going to be dope. But it never seems to work out in theory as well. Like, I don't I don't understand why they have to look exactly the same. Like, why do they both have mustaches that are the same? Like, wouldn't one have, like, a mustache that's a little shorter or, 
Like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> You're telling me they couldn't film scenes separately with him, like with a prosthetic one, and then just like let the good one not have a must. Like, Isn't that like the rule from South Park? If you have a goatee, you're the evil one. <laughs> that definitely. But so what, they should have. Why do they have similar hair? You know? Like their hair is cut in exactly the same way. And like it's ob- it's an obvious visual shorthand that at the beginning he uh, drops the money down and he gets hit. And the the cut is the visual shorthand for that's one Franco, so that when you see the other one twenty minutes in, because the first appearance of the twin is like twenty minutes in when he goes and he makes yeah. the baseball bat, but he doesn't have the cut, so you can tell that it's different, right? And he's kind of cruising through a different area, et cetera, et cetera. But they do the cut so you can tell the difference. I get it, but I mean, like, why isn't one bald and the other one ha- has a wig? Like, I just don't. Or one anything, one fat, one no mother. There are so many easy things they exactly. could do there. Why isn't one overweight and the other one's James Franco? Like, they could have done right. so many more interesting things to help us differentiate or to, like, lend itself to a different performance. Like, yes, he has slightly, a slightly different accent. That's cool. It means that they're on different in different parts of the city and hanging in different parts of the city. But, like... The mannerisms are exactly the same. The smile is exactly the same. I know they're identical twins, but they're they're like thirty five in the show. They should have developed some differences, right? You would think, yeah. That's hard to be like did the you know, exact same, like pulled off of Square Brothers. <laughs> did, did you know like any twins growing up? Twins growing up, not identical. Okay. That were the same gender. There were twins one year ahead of me in high school, but it was a brother and sister, and they were very cool. But um. Yeah, I had, no, like, I, had like, I, I had identical twins in my grade, and eventually, oh, wow. no, eventually, they didn't look so identical. Just like the years and what they, what they did differently in their lives, you know, like things have an effect on you physically, so you look a little different. And it's just weird that they look exactly the same. Right. It's it it looks like a gimmick. That's it. And like again, I was listening to that watch interview that Pelicanos did, and he said that they wanted them to look very similar. They wanted them to have the same hair, the same mustache, so that Franco could differentiate the accent and the mannerisms, and he could like he could act differently, I guess. But again, I don't know if it's the best decision. Like it's just it didn't seem very different to me. It didn't seem different for me at all, and and I don't really understand the relationship between them as well. Like in some of the interactions, he kind of was enabling him. I figure, like, dude, you're about to lose your this dude. Right. The mafia is gonna kill you, and then you're gonna let this <laughs> asshole play cards and give him free drinks all night. Like, beat the shit out, like get your money, dude. Like oh, you need oh, to figure. Th- that's when they could have introduced all the like prostitution, porn, right, all the right. shit you were saying, like. The whole arrangement bugged me because, like, when he's covering for the brother in the Korean bar, it feels like he's covering for himself, you know? Yeah. Or, like, mm-hmm. like when he does the big marketing push and he has the girls hand out the free drinks in the front and they have the packed bar, is he doing that for the brother? Is he doing that for himself? Like, they never really specify, you know? It's like... And getting back to, like, the main good Franco character. Again, I don't know why I'm cheering for him. He's got two little kids. He doesn't give a shit about them. He doesn't speak to them. He leaves them with the chain-smoking mom too much. Um, there's He's cheating on his wife, so when he bitches about it, he's, I'm like, why are you bitching? You're doing the exact same thing. And he's a drug dealer. And he, right, it's not very sympathetic. <laughs> and he uses drugs. I mean, it's just like, this guy has no redeeming qualities. He should be... Again, they seem like pretty equally bad guys, right? 
Yeah, to me, I agree. There's they're both bad dudes. One bets, the other one deals drugs, then you know cheats on his wife. So why is one better than the other? Just because he doesn't owe money to the mob, I guess. Yeah, and I think maybe they're playing up the whole HBO anti-hero thing a little. You have to out yeah. Soprano, Tony Soprano. Like you know, you have to be everybody's like everybody's in gray areas. Well, we don't need every single character. We can have like one good person. And also, you could limit it to one gray area. Like the guy does everything. Like you said, I mean, he he. <laughs> he's doing like the seven deadly sins in the pilot i know why not if he just used speed or used right. whatever the something. upper was then the if he guy one used thing. speed to like stay awake for his two jobs or something that you feel simple oh the guy's like hardworking. that would totally make sense that's an easy rewrite you don't need all this shit about all the other stuff and then yeah. his wife like you know playing pool with some some tool bags or whatever and he wusses out from fighting them which I watched a trailer. There's like him hitting somebody with a pool stick. So obviously he goes back and they spoiled it in the trailer for some reason. And then I just spoiled it for you. Sorry. <laughs> I, was, okay. I was just mad about it. I was like, why would you show that scene after the pilot? And then he just leaves. Then he just up and leaves and moves into a hotel for a month. Like, yeah, how, why? that doesn't make you a good guy. That doesn't mean you're like on some moral high ground. It's just the whole character bugged me. I don't know why they made a lot of the choices that they did i hope it improves i wanted to ask you what is your quintessential franco role franco role because i think we talked about this in the 11 22 63 episode but i find his career fascinating and i want to update i want to update our listeners on another long-running thread our love of james franco yeah i man i don't know like, what do you think what do you think of first when you think of him i guess I mean, the, well, the most recent Franco I watched was uh, This is the End. So that's okay. definitely not like that's obviously meta Franco there. But, I think that's you know, I've never though. seen 127 hours, which I feel bad about. Mm, don't feel bad about it. It's not very good. Um, not that it's that great, but I'm just missing that like quintessential Franco overacting and cutting his own arm off. That's very Franco. <laughs> <laughs> um, shit, man. It's so hard to say. <sighs> I can't go freaks and geeks because that's like the obvious whatever, you know, secret genius. Here comes the the next, you know, James Dean or whatever. Uh, what's yours? I think it's I think it's Pineapple Express. Like that's like a silly choice, but I don't know. Everybody loved it. I loved it. It got it got like a Golden Globe nom, so it's not like some cult favorite, but I think I think that's like all his tools at like high power. Like he's able to be funny, <laughs> he's able to be physical. Um, he's able to be like uh, the good friend, which he's great at. Kind of like the good, like good to bad friend, like in how he switches between those modes, like really quickly. I don't know. I think yeah. I think he's able to do basically everything in that role. It's ironic because you'd think that would be my favorite and not right. yours because you know. So are you don't you, use the Pineapple Express. Are, are <laughs> you, you don't ride that train. Did that movie hit you hard? Like, is that one that you? Oh, I love it absolutely. Okay. I just, I mean, number one, I try not to go to those movies as my favorite movies because then I'm like living down to a stereotype. It's, it's, it's too on brand for you. <laughs> too too on brand for grind. You know, like the swoop. Uh, yeah. Think, go ahead. Yeah, for, Oh shit, man! What was the North Korea movie? The interview. Oh, I think that. I was, was really... going to ask you about this. Is the interview good? Like, I, I need to know. I, I need to know lot. your opinion. I liked it a lot, and I think it's extremely unfortunate with the Sony hack yeah. and the kind of whole thing that just got so blown out of proportion. Because it was a decent movie in the line of a Pineapple Express. Obviously, the tandem 
Rogan and Franco. And he played like a Seacrest type who then discovers like a more human vulnerable side throughout this adventure. He, he, and I think it has really, a lot of those uh, same qualities. He really like overdoes it a lot in that movie. It's charming. Yes. I think he like really he, he goes he goes for it. Like he goes, he goes all the way it. for it. That's like that's like what um, endeared me to someone like Drake. Like I saw him on SNL and you see that they can take themselves lightly. Someone yeah. who is a pretty serious musician, you know, and deals with serious things. Um, anytime you see someone like that, flip that switch. It was just such like a weird, it was obviously like a bizarre rollout that may never be replicated. It's the, one of the weirdest movie releases of our lifetime. Yeah. And I think that's unfortunate because people didn't get a chance to see that overacting on purpose, like self-aware Franco, but pineapple right. is up there too. And of course, freaks and geeks. It's this big buzzy comedy. I'm just fascinated by the interview. It's this big buzzy comedy and it has like this just incredible hook. And then I'm watching it in my house on YouTube like mm-hmm. that week. Like I had to buy yeah. it. I had to buy it for off eight YouTube. Bucks or whatever it was. Yeah, I for, forget. I'm watching it in my living room for eight dollars. And it's like I don't I'm not surrounded there's nobody laughing around me. It was it's kinda hard to it was always hard to get into because like the first experience was so strange and I just there's nobody there's nobody playing it. It felt like a straight to red bar it's like did, weird yeah side project almost and it, it didn't uh, get that and there is you know you go to the movies all the time and i rare i go two or three times a year but mm-hmm. there is something special about that experience that i think most people well, can agree especially like, in comedies like super bad. yeah with laughing with goop and all that stuff yeah, yeah i mean super bad is one of the most memorable theater experiences of my life because everybody in the theater was cracking up so it enhanced it but you know you can't it's hard to watch a comedy for the first time alone yeah, on a computer like i, I would on my desktop <laughs> it's, it's just it's fucking crazy um, um, all right let's uh right. I, I have no more specific questions for you i, I do I, we do want to do this new feature um and we'll get to that in a second but uh i, I want to get through some random notes first and talk sure. about the, talk about the porn stuff because the porn stuff really bugs me i i don't know if you want me to start on that and then you can jump in yeah sure go for it i man. feel like i've been bitching a lot <laughs> Well, hey, I like I said, I came into this one. I, I watched it very intensely, and I wrote down all my thoughts. But I was just taking in so much. This was such a dense pilot and pretty long. For we've been doing a lot of twenty-minute ones lately, and so this one, this thing is. And again, it was a show that I anticipated liking a lot, so I wanted to half enjoy, half study. I watched it again, a little bit different parts to make sure, like, like the twin part thing, and. Uh, you know, a lot got past me, like the scar on the head. I didn't even pick that up. And so you just mentioned, it. I'm like, oh, yeah, duh. That wouldn't have been like so, <laughs> so shocking if I was paying it. But, you That's know, this was for. a dense one. Right. Uh, this was a real dense this one. This is a dense sure one. This, one. this one's a hard, a hard one to study. And that's why I've like literally got it on the TV right now. I'm trying to pick up some more parts to talk about. But uh, so the porn, it, this is a show that was, and again, you may not know this, but this is a show that was very much pitched as, the porn industry and kind of like the genesis or the rise of the porn industry in Times Square. But the pilot, for, not only does it not tell you that, which, which is why it's so interesting to me, but you think that with 80 minutes of runtime, they would like at least tease it at the end or there, there'd be a line of dialogue. But really, if you didn't watch trailers, do you think this show is about pimps? You think it's about battle for ground? 
much in the same way the wire really revolved around these like drug corner battles and all the chaos that came from that but like you know franco's gonna get involved in the world somehow you know maggie g's gonna get involved in the world somehow maybe somehow involving this new friend abby this college student but yeah, like we don't get that transition here. And it's just such a strange beast in that way. Cause like so many shows get so antsy and they want to like give you that hook at some point. Like Mad Men, it opens and you're you're in the office, but really like the surprise and the setup for all the future episodes is the home life thing. Is like the last scenes where he comes home and he has right. a wife and it's not the one he's been sleeping with. And you know, right. that, that sets up a lot more of this program. But here we don't get that moment. We don't get like that last scene tease. Like instead, again, the culmination is like the Franco's meeting. And it's like that was like the event of that the That should show. not be the peak of the show. Yeah, at that's all. the yeah. peak of the pilot. And that's <clears throat> That's strange to me. And again, if you watch the trailers, like Maggie Gyllenhaal is talking about, I think she literally says, like, I want to make movies. There's like a journalism subplot. There's like a ton going on. And this is more of like a hangout episode. This feels like the episode before like a finale. Really you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this seems like a setup episode for it. But pilots it don't does. usually operate in that fashion. And they set up so much and there's so many subplots and also so much subtext and i feel like because of the money and the financial subtext for every single character we encounter why not show then some porn set where they're in the back room counting like suitcases of cash like show the juxtaposition of like these people are all desperate they're going to use this industry to become less desperate yeah and like you know there just was no setup of that you do end up thinking all right so franco is going to become a pimp to maggie gyllenhaal and this college girl and then they're going to go from there like which probably will not happen but that is what the takeaway would be if if yeah the porn thing wasn't known i did know that much a little bit i didn't watch a lot of trailers but i watched a lot of hbo now and they do those little blurbs you know and i I checked those out at least but it's just I'm just surprised it, that is it didn't come up in the last few scenes. Like that right, at all. It's not that I didn't like the ending. I love that like they portray this um this pimp and prostitution world as like not loving but also not dangerous. Like you can tell that the pimps they care about their quote unquote girls, right? Even though they are being quite crude with them. But then that last scene where CC, I think it is. That was brutal, man. Holds the knife to the girl's throat, and you see that she's cut, and Franco just turns around and doesn't, you know, decides not to intervene. And it's like this world where even if you have a moment or a shred of goodness within you, there's no way you can help because you're only stepping in something that you're never going to be able to step out of. And that is. If you're lucky, you live through the encounter. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're lucky, you live through the encounter, but then somebody else comes and kills you. So it's like, there's really no way to do good. And I think that was the point of the ending. And like in the interviews, again, they talked a lot about pornography and how they wanted to portray it and how like they didn't want you to get aroused during the prostitution or pornography scenes because they wanted to feel like you're at work with these people and they're they're not getting aroused, right? Because it's work. Right. um, It's it's an interesting pilot. It's fascinating to me because they don't, there's no hook. It's like, There's really no hook. You have to really trust like these creators to or these actors to want to go on with it. And know. that's what scares me because you can easily coast, like given the cast and um, 
just the fact that it is HBO, I'm going to give anything three, four, five episodes, you know? Mm. And I hope that they don't... I hope it's not like seven episodes like name setting, recognition, up the, like, setting up the porn stuff. Right, right. I hope, yeah, I hope they get down to it. And I hope that just because Franco's attached or Gyllenhaal or whoever, Simon, like, okay, great. That'll buy you a weird pilot, but get to the point. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to give you any bad news, but The Atlantic in their review states the 90 minute pilot made available to stream in August is maybe the series' finest episode setting up the oh, manifold shit. characters and the various arcs with a structure that loosens considerably later on if the structure is loosening then i don't know if that's a good thing <laughs> and what is the show i mean just filming them walk around their perfectly crafted sets like i don't understand how it can get looser because that's pretty much what we were dealing with at this point yeah no i agree let's do some random notes not that it was bad but anyway yeah we can easily i have a great random note just to turn on the pause i mean this is maybe one of my favorite moments how about the presence of method man method man also in the wire also good in the wire and on the method man note it's great to see him as like the seasoned actor, the seasoned actor or the seasoned presence next to these other younger actors. Like yes, he's not Man. just a rapper who happened to get a part anymore. Method Man is the seasoned actor here. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. he is a good actor. He was he's also good. great. I will say this every time he comes up: great in Garden State. Good in Garden State. I I totally agree. He had that. He had the hotel role, right? Yep. His yeah. performance will change your life. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else in the random note selections? I really do like the aspect of a guy who feels like a sucker or put upon like taking matters into his own hands. I wish we would have seen that a little more from Franco, how you would see with like Walter White or um, not so much Draper, but like, you know, your your classic anti-heroes tend to be like sick of getting shit on. He sort of, like I said, you know, with his brother, he kind of took it. His wife, yeah, he left, but he also had a mistress he just yeah but we already covered that other than that i mean not too many random notes they did save that most violent part until the end i think they wanted us to get really comfortable with the idea of sex work and oh it's not so bad and then bam knife to the throat like holy shit i forgot what i was watching even the (laughs) even the violence in the beginning is like a play violence and he gives her 20 yeah yeah almost like yeah, exactly. It's like part of the deal almost. It's, so. It definitely lulls you to sleep, and then it brings you right back into yeah. reality with a freaking switchblade. And you're you're now you're now kind of in the right mindset, I think, for probably what's to come. Um, so random notes. Let's see what we got here. I thought the Darlene stuff was important. Um, a little bit cliched. Uh, the guy who buys the hooker, but really just wants to hang out. I mean, we've seen that. Um, but what I thought was interesting was that he's like not bringing somebody in to have a nice conversation with, which is what usually happens, but to introduce to like art, to like foster an appreciation of art. He's like showing her this movie and like telling her about it. And, you know, he wants her to take this in with him. But she seems like the character who is like primed for like a big transition or yeah, somebody who's yeah, primed yeah. for like the most brutal death scene. What? Maybe both. What, Maybe what it, she's things? about, you know. <laughs> One more trick and I'll be able to afford my bus ticket out of here and then yeah. dead, you know, something like that. Some tragic ending. Um, I yeah. love the Fra- that Franco wants to get rid of the creme, creme de mint. Like that. Yeah, nobody's drinking that shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, lo- I love that line. It's great. Uh, I love that he's like, they're basically making him take alcohol. Uh, and the first taste of scumminess is really him like eyeing up Darlene. That's the first time I was like, hmm, this guy's not like 
Walter White who's going to break bad. This guy's already in the gray. He's already pretty towards bad. Yeah. 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 Um, the way that CC's like old girl, who is the one who has the knife held to her throat, says just you and me. Like when he says that they can hang out that night means he's definitely brought some third members into the bedroom quite a bit, um, which was a nice little detail. Uh, the deuce, the, the title of the deuce, um, I believe it relates to uh, a porn theater district that once lined 42nd Street. So that's where the title comes from. Don't love the title. It already struck me as weird going into oh. the pilot. I was like, they could have named this something better, I feel. Doesn't he call like his brother the deuce? Uh, I did like, not catch that. The, nobody's taking the Deuce's bets or something. I, I I thought they called his brother the Deuce, or I thought it would relate to the fact that there's two Francos. But anyways, uh, I don't know. Ronnie getting the getting the uh, blowjob in the phone booth as he's like walking by, and he says, "Hey, Ronnie." And then <laughs> we get the shot below um, uh, some of the movies that were on there. So these are some good things, some funny things. Uh, we had Trader Horny. <laughs> we had there she blows or no excuse me that she blows i think and we had the wizard of oz so obviously the third one is not a porn but trader horny is about quote a missing heiress who has been taken to africa where she's revered as a goddess uh, oh, there, wow. there she blows is a 1968 film and i couldn't get the exact thing uh the description but it's something about a yacht and a pimp so <laughs> so i think we've got like softcore here but then I think we're going to see like the rise of hardcore is what I assume is happening. Yeah, it seems like they're going to up the ante and make more money and all yeah. the VHS and they'll get up to yeah. the 80s. And then depending on how many seasons they do, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I think in that interview I was listening to, like they're there. It's going to be like a time spanning type of thing. It's not like a, a, in a year, you know, it's, they're going to span some time. It's going to be a big story. And we'll uh, see a bald comb over on a Franco <laughs> and we'll see like a white Scarface suit. And... <laughs> uh, Mondo Trasho was another one of the movies. That's a John Waters movie. I don't even want to try to describe what that one's about. It's crazy. Uh, John Waters movie pretty much sums it up. Yeah. Kevin Bresnahan uh, played a guy named Jersey Mike in this pilot. Franco makes fun of his shirt, if you remember. He, oh yeah, he is true. in the super bad scene. It's the scene where Michael Sarah sings "These Eyes." Oh, and he is in the room and he's like kind of freaking out and shaking his head and stuff. And then he like starts the big fight in the next room. That's him. So, yeah, super bad alum. I'm wondering who Abby's dad is because they mentioned her father a couple times. Can I call my father? I don't care who your father is. So he's probably yeah. the mayor of New York City or some shit. Some senator or whatever jerk-off thing. Uh, and let's see. I, oh, last bit. I love how Franco is cool enough that he can like leave the bar, put a tie on, whatever he shirt, whatever shirt he's wearing, and he looks fabulous. Like he looks amazing. Yeah. I love that move. We can't talk about Franco without just talking about how no matter what he wears, his hair, the he's just so cool that like he's you incredible. want, yeah, you just want him to be like I just want to look at him, yeah. like I just want to see him in things always. He's got the best. He's got the best on-screen smile. Let's just he's be cool. So and it's right. like such a genuine smile. Anyway, yes. enough Franco dick riding. But. Enough, enough. Not yet. No, we'll we'll see who wins the pilot. So our next feature that we're gonna do is a little something, a little something new. We kind of do it, um, but we're gonna give an official an official title of the pilot study MVP. And this is a simple question: Who wins the pilot for you, Grimes? Well, I saw who you put. Yep. I don't want to spoil it. Okay. 
So I was choosing between that and um, a couple, obviously. Anyway, I think <laughs> Franco wins the pilot because... Really? We just got done trashing him. I trashed him a lot, but I'm you coming back for my man because uh, he ultimately, like, it's his show, so got to invest a little bit. You got to trust him. You got to know that Franco's going to take us in some weird directions in life. <laughs> and I, I do think that while the Atlantic might think this is the peak, I think there's more to come. I have some hope that this will get pretty gritty and we'll see some real... You know, I think this pilot lulled us to sleep a little bit and hope I'm expecting a Franco punch. All right, all right. I think I think uh, Maggie G wins. Uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal. Okay, yeah, yeah. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, she's you, pretty great. You were going to say that anyways. You didn't want to steal my thing. I get you. Um, but we can talk, I didn't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can talk okay. about her. I mean, she gets the best part. Um, the Stewart scene is just like, it's a fucking acting showcase. She's so good in the Stewart scene where she basically has to do like this birthday boy routine where this young kid, I think he's like 16 or 18. I can't quite remember. It looks pretty young. Yeah. He's young. And it's like, they're coming to New York and he's going to lose his virginity or whatever. And so she has to like get down with like this young kid and you can tell, you feel bad for her, but at the same time you respect how good she is at her craft and how easily she puts the kid in his place when he requests like a second go. And it's just so, so good because she dishes out her professionalism and vulnerability in equal measures. And I suppose it's just kind of like the audience feels bad for her. Like I felt bad for her at the beginning of the scene. I was like, oh God, this is going to be terrible for her because she's got to go upstairs with this kid. But then she doesn't really display the nerves that the audience has because she can't. Like, that's the dilemma. She has to seem supremely confident to make her right. money. At all times, she yes. Can't, she can't show any cracks. And it's just it's just such an incredible job because, again, you can feel that vulnerability that's hidden underneath the surface. And everything on the exterior is just steely. And, man. And then you have the scene right after where, like, she's with her kid and her kid loves her and you think like if she keeps doing this then she's going to be pulling tricks so like kids her own age or with kids that her are her own child's age so you start thinking about those ramifications and like that line this is my job steward like that was just like yeah fucking yeah. killer this is my job steward yeah she takes no line. shit yeah and just the fact that she's believable as a prostitute i mean she totally is such believable. a great actress that she I mean, talk about range and underrated. Her and Franco might be, you know, the male and female poster children for that. This is my job, Stuart. Stuart, Stuart <laughs> shut right the fuck up and passed over that grandmother check. Do we have time for peak Maggie Gyllenhaal? Because I oh, know yeah. exactly what I'm going to say. I, I was a, a, One more thing. I think she's going for the Emmy yeah. on this. I think she's going to be a front runner for the Emmy already. Like, Because you only got to submit like one episode. This is her episode. Oh, so yeah, this should be her episode for sure. I mean, unless she like really knocks something out of the park. But yeah, peak Maggie Gyllenhaal. What do you got? Frank. (laughs) Wow, this is like, you're speaking my language because you know I love Frank. Oh, that's such a great movie. Oh, yes. She makes that movie for me. Now, that's interesting because she's very mean and she's very abrasive. And is it just, is it those qualities? Yeah, I think that she, there's a part of me that wishes 
that I was like some secret artistic genius or something. <laughs> and so when people play that or when, you know, you see like a Sufjan live performance or something like it, it just really moves me because I would love to be that. I know I'm not, of course, but like it's oh, cool to are. see that. Don't downgrade yourself. It's cool to see that. And I think she did awesome in that movie. So and it's a weird fucking movie. She kind of grounds it, oddly enough, as a weirdo. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking I'm looking through stuff right now. Nothing's jumping out at me as like, wow. She, I mean, obviously, I love Frank and I love her and Frank, but I'm trying to see if there's anything else that really just that she crushed it in. Like the you're dark, always happy to see her, but you know, it's yeah, like yeah, she's she's like a great presence in the Dark Knight, obviously, but she replaces Katie Holmes, so that's a little weird. I've never seen Secretary, which I know people just love her in, so I can't really say that. No, I've never seen it either. I could be full of it with that. Frank I would, pick I would assume her role in Donnie Darko is very small, and I think she plays the sister, so I mean, it's a little too close to reality to like you know. <laughs> Millennial John and Joan Cusack. Yeah, away, she, away we go. Who does she play in that? I don't know. I think away we go. She plays like a crazy friend or something. I think. I mean, of the movies I'm seeing here, Frank is my favorite. So I, I yeah, guess, I guess I'll just have to agree with you. And she's also an adaptation, which I love, but I can't for the life of me remember what she, what her role in that is. You know, there's like shows like Honorable Woman. She's good in. There's shows that she's been good in, but yeah, I guess not as deep of a catalog as I was expecting. She's good. She's always a great presence, but I thought she would have had a couple more, like... More Maggie Gyllenhaal, Hollywood. Uh, you heard it here we first. Need it. We need it. All right, uh, last review. The Deuce may not plumb the deepest depths, says Vanity Fair. Not yet, anyway. But it does at least do the fine and winning work of giving these strutters... And their well-worn stage, some very good lighting, blue and red, and irresistibly bright. And ratings. So the premium cable new drama series has drawn over 2.2 million viewers so far, both in broadcast and online, according to HBO. So hmm. a pretty good start. I think it was like equivalent to Show Me a Hero, which was Simon's last project. Not a huge hit. We're not talking Game of Thrones or anything like that, but... uh enough that they're they're probably not worried i'd say palace study pod on twitter see me raving about the good place a show that doesn't deal with prostitution palace study pod at gmail.com for email grimes thank you for joining me today thank you this was an interesting one we'll see how it goes i am very curious to see how it goes and let's of course leave it with a preview of what we're going to be talking about next week thank you guys very much for listening And that's the premise behind Pilot Study. Oh. Bummer.